probably more drama in the construction industry than almost any other industry that I've ever been involved in. Hello and welcome to Pillars of Wealth Creation, where we talk about creating financial success with a special focus on business and real estate. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. Now, let's get to it. Hello and welcome back to Pillars of Wealth Creation. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. With me as always on these Wednesdays, we got Matt Jones. Matt, how are you doing today? I'm doing excellent on this beautiful morning. How about you? I'm doing good. And Matt, as you mentioned before, you can hear the kids in the background. That's because I've got my two nieces uh, that we're taking care of for uh, 10 days. Uh, they Their parents went to Africa. And so we're hanging out with two kids. They're at home. My my 13 year old daughters, uh, they're taking care of the kids right now. But, uh, so, you know, audience, if you hear kids, uh, shouting in the background, that's just how it is. So <laughs> deal, deal with it. I'm sorry, <laughs> but, uh, that's, that's the way it is today. So not quite the full um, house. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny. Cause I was just like, we said, yeah, we'll do it for sure. I mean, you know, love their kids are great kids. And, but then I'm like, I haven't had a two-year-old in the house in seven years. My my youngest kid is nine years old. So it's like, it's been a little while. It's going to be different. Good, good. But that's all right. It's all right. Um, so, Matt, I am I'm listening. I went for a bike ride this morning, and I'm listening to this book, um, the psychology of money. And it's, it's really interesting. It's funny. Cause it was talking about, you know, he's writing, this as a very recent book. So it's definitely something people should listen to. Um, but he's talking about a pending recession that's coming up and he's talking about the reaction to the recession and, and people, you know, we've got this high inflation happening right now today and people are going, well, what happened back in the last high inflation period of time back you know, during the seventies and in, in early eighties. And we're trying to justify what's going to happen now by looking back in the past. And, and he makes some valid points is like, look, it's not even close to being the same this time and we can sit here you get laughed at if you go well this time is different but it is different there's certainly will be some similarities there's certainly some lessons we can take out of the past but look i mean as he mentions like 401ks we're we're not really even a thing right roth ira wasn't a thing until the 90s. Venture capitalism, that wasn't a thing at all during that time. Multifamily syndications, any kind of real estate syndications, you know, they were certainly around, but not like they are today. Crowdfunding, that wasn't, that wasn't even a, a thing back then. There's so many differences. We're in a service-based economy in the US right now. We've got so much different technology right now. And back in the 70s, we were producing so many more goods and goods uh, versus today, you know, our goods are produced in countries all around all around the world. 
So does that mean it's going to be a less of a recession, more of a recession? Does that mean inflation is going to you know, go higher, going to be lower? It's so hard to predict because so many different factors are in place. We've got a different, different government even. I mean, our government in the 70s doesn't look like it does today. Um, so it's just so much, so many differences. Um, and, and certainly, again, lessons can be learned. We can think about how things happened in the past, but we have to be aware that today there's just so many differences that you can't take what happened before and say, this is what's going to happen again. Yeah, exactly. It's hard to predict. Um, I mean, all we can do is see what we have going on right now and, and make the best decisions based on the information that you have. Yeah. And, and what he says, uh, I like the most, and, and, and this is my, been my philosophy is you have to, you take some of your money and that's what you have higher, higher risk. And you take your other money and you guard it and you protect it and you don't take any risks on that money. And so you have cash and you have your investments and you make sure you have enough liquidity in your investments. One of the easiest things, Matt, with a multifamily or any kind of real estate syndication to do to boost returns, there's a couple there's a couple like kind of levers you can pull, but if you have less cash on hand, that means you have to raise less capital. And that means your returns ultimately look a lot better. You know, the less capital I raise, the higher my IRR and cash on cash return look. So it's, if I have, you know, three months of reserves, looks a lot better on paper than if I have 12 months of reserves, but 12 months of reserves is going to get me through a tough period of time of you know, at least has a lot better chance of getting me through a tough period of time. Yeah. I mean, the, you know, less amount of reserves means, uh, you know, a much higher amount of risk as well. Yep. Yep. And especially in a recessionary period, of time right now, an inflationary period of time, we don't know exactly what's going to happen. You know, technically, if you got high inflation, if you got a recession, um, or, or no GDP growth, uh, you know, you've got you've got stagflation. That's that's even worse than you know a recession. So, you know, we'll see what happens. Um, but again, having that large amount of cash, large amount of reserves, is going to put us through. Uh, get us through a lot better than if we're, you know, illiquid and just, you know, leverage too. Look, leverage is a beautiful thing, but it's a dangerous thing. And, and it just compounds problems. It compounds benefits and it compounds problems. And real estate is amazing because we can leverage the real estate very nicely, but it's also adds a component of risk to our real estate. Um, that, you know, sometimes ends up with, you know, giving us pretty poor results in the end. Yeah. I mean, high leverage works great when everything goes perfectly, but if anything goes wrong, then uh, you're caught with your pants down potentially. Yeah. Especially if you don't have those cash reserves that we, we were talking about. Yep. So, well, cool, Matt. Uh, so that's just, just some food for thought for people. I know the recession or inflation and just the economy overall is on everybody's mind. It's on my mind. Uh, I'm not trying to make predictions for the future. Uh, I am just trying to be prepared for the future. We've always, we're always trying to be prepared for uh, the unknowns of the future. There's always unknowns 
that's one thing that is certain. That's one thing that is known is there's always unknowns. And so we need to prepare best for them. You can never prepare for the exact unknown that's going to happen because that's what it is. It's an unknown. And so we want to just be smart, be prepared uh, and think about, okay, what are some of the possibilities that could happen and how are we protecting ourselves for that? Yeah. And I mean, despite all the fears as well, it's not even guaranteed that we're going to have a recession coming up. You know, uh, last time I read a a book that was predicting an impending recession was uh, uh, written in 2017. And uh, it turns out, uh, uh, I don't know if you remember back then, but there was no recession uh, at that point. Matt, I mean, it, you know, we've said it on the show before. There's been predictions of a of another recession probably ever since 2013, 2014. The day things started going up, they were going to go back down. And every single you know year, there's there's experts all over predicting a recession, and you know it hasn't happened. It's been what now 13, 12, 13 years, depending on when you call the start of the last recession. Uh, so. It's bound to happen. It will happen. But is this it? Your guess is as good as mine. I would say right now, writing's on the wall, but it doesn't mean that it will happen. And we don't know how severe it will be. Yep, exactly. So cool. Uh, Matt, we're actually talking about something a little bit different today. What are we talking about? Oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, as, as what often happens, we get on a little side tangent, but that's okay. What we're actually talking about is how to successfully manage a construction project. So we're going through several big construction projects right now. And managing a construction project, it can be a, a real pain in the butt. And one uh, thing that I've learned is you don't want to count on your property management company to manage a property a project, right? Manage a construction project. You don't want to count on them to create your budgets for you. You don't want to count on them to find all the subcontractors for you. You want to make sure you are in control. Now, can they help you out? Yes, absolutely. Can, can they provide you feedback? Can they provide you support? Absolutely. I, I would encourage you to find a property management company that has those capabilities of doing that. But in my opinion, you're going to be a lot better off if you've got your own capability of doing the construction, of doing the construction management in-house. Okay. And so that could be someone from your team, right? One of, one of the partners, uh, the, or that could be somebody you hire. So when we're, Matt, when we're coming up with a construction budget, we're looking at how much we're, we're looking at procuring bids, right? So we can figure out how much a renovation is going to cost for various different aspects of what we need to do to the property. Once we get those bids, we are going to add a construction management fee on top of that. And that'll allow us to pay a construction manager. Okay. That, and so now your job as the, as the lead sponsor is to manage the construction manager. Now we have somebody inside on in-house that we've recently hired um, to do that job for us. But, you know, that person doesn't necessarily have to be on your payroll. It could be somebody outside of your payroll, but it could be a sub subcontractor 
right? It could be a contract, contract, consultant fee, that type of thing. But you need to, in my opinion, you need to make sure that that is a third party representative. It should be not the general contractor. It should be not the property management company. It should be outside of that, somebody that works on your behalf that can manage the property and manage it properly. Um, because there's a lot to track. And so we have, Matt, we have a renovation tracker sheet that we keep track of all the little nuances of the property and what's going on. And everybody has access to that. So our property management company has access to that. Our contractors have access to it. Our property project manager has access to it and we have access to it. And everybody's tracking the progress of what's happening. Is that just on Google Sheets? That's on a Google Sheets. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's services out there, technology out there that also works really well. Um, the training is just a little bit more. Um, and so we've just decided to stick with something really simple, which is Google Sheets, which is just a just a super easy, you know, nobody needs to be trained on it or we train everybody on it, but literally it's, it's like takes, takes just a few minutes to train somebody on how to use it on how to update it. And then the, the biggest thing is how are you going to hold, help hold them accountable? Um, you know, you got to make sure that they are filling the sheet out. They are staying up to date with it. Um, that's, that's maybe the biggest pain with any kind of tracker. It's only as good as the users. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, you know, look, managing contractors is, is challenging. It's a lot of contractors are just, um, I've been in the industry a long time. It's, it's very interesting. The, some of these personalities, they, they, a lot of these guys are very high maintenance. Uh, they, they are, are, it seems like a lot of them are big time complainers, whiners. Uh, they have excuses for everything. There's a lot of drama, a lot of drama, and they create their own drama. Um, probably more drama in the construction industry than almost any other industry that I've ever been uh, involved in. Um, definitely more than property management, definitely more than senior housing. You know, mm -hmm. I've got my, my senior housing staff is like 95% females. These contractors, which are like 95% males are way more drama. Um, and so it's just something you have to be sure you can, you're managing, you're managing their, their drama. Um, it feels like you're in a, uh, a world full of a bunch of teenagers that have hormones going on uh, all day long. That's what a construction site feels like. Uh, that's what managing contractors feels like. <laughs> <laughs> so just understand that uh, these, these guys are a bunch of guys, teenage boys with a bunch of hormones going on. Uh, that's, they still got it happening and they're, you're 40, 50 years old, but it's still going on. Uh, they, they somehow haven't gotten out of that, that world yet. Could make um, a good uh, reality TV show, it, man. It would make an amazing reality TV show, but you have to learn how to manage those types of, those types of people. And everybody's got such a different personality. A lot of these guys have very strong personalities, very macho. 
uh, type personalities. They don't want to be told what to do, uh, especially if you're a female. Look for my female listeners out there. If you're trying to manage these contractors, uh, especially uh, if you're you're young, um, man, these guys can be brutal to you, and you've got to be very to the point. You've got to you've got to know what you're talking about, and it's it's unfair for you, but you have to absolutely know what you're talking about. You have to be very clear and concise with them, and you have to take you have to allow for no BS. Right? They're going to try to step on you if they can. And even for the males out there that are listening, if you don't know what you're talking about, they're going to step it on you. They're going to take advantage of you. So that's where hiring somebody that knows what they're doing is very valuable or learning it yourself and knowing what you're doing and telling these contractors to get their crap together. Right. And, and they, the ones, the ones that are good will listen. The ones that are bad, just get rid of them, quite frankly. You don't need that. You don't need the drama and you don't need a guy or a, or a gal in some cases, but mostly uh, contractors are, are guys, but you don't need somebody who's not going to do the job you expect to do or who's going to always be causing issues. If they're causing issues with you, they're likely causing issues on the job site with other contractors. So how do you find good contractors in the first place without having to do all this trial and error with uh, uh, these people? Referrals, referral, referral, referral. By the way, don't go with the cheapest person. Every time we go with the cheapest person, we just did it recently. You know, mistake. Learn from my. Sometimes I don't learn from my mistakes. We just did it recently. There was four or sorry, three uh, bids that we received, and uh, my project manager went with the cheapest bid. That cheapest bid, and not working out. Now we're getting rid of that contractor. Um, and we have, we're going with actually our more, most expensive bid. Now the bids were pretty close to each other, which is so, so that's at least nice, but we're still going at the more expensive bid, um, and getting rid of the cheapest bid. Um, so multiple bids, referrals, um, the, the first company that we went with wasn't highly referred to us, wasn't referred to us at all. Uh, the company we're going with now was highly referred to us. Um, and so they've got a lot of experience. They've done a lot of uh, the type of remodeling we're looking for them to do. Um, and they've got good referrals behind them. The first contractor gave us referrals. We didn't get referred to them. I like it when I don't have to ask for a referral. I've got referrals from other people we know. So ask, uh, ask brokers. The real estate brokers, ask the the lendy, the lenders, uh, local banks, um, ask the uh, property management companies, you know, uh, appraisers, uh, inspectors. Those are the types of people you need to be asking. Hey, who are the who are the best contractors that we should be reaching out to? Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, real estate is a pretty small world, so you know all these people that you just mentioned know who the good contractors are. Yep. If you've got a here's the here's one of the best benefits, in my opinion, about um, having a in-house project manager. Well, there's a lot of them, but if you have an in-house project manager, um, not only can they coordinate the project for you, they can really coordinate the project and, and understand the entire project, entire scope. They're looking out for you and not for themselves. Where 
if you use a general contractor, they're looking out for themselves, but they're also not necessarily getting the best pricing, right? And so, and I just talked about not going with the cheapest bid. So that's not what I'm talking about, but I'm talking about just getting the best pricing overall. And so you're, you are procuring your own subs for various items, your own painter, your own uh, electricians, plumbers, et cetera. And you're being able to put together your own team of people that you really like. And that project manager can source those people, source the materials, source all of that stuff and save you a good deal of money where a contractor is going to charge you, you know, a pretty good fee just for all of those things. Now, if you're beginning, if you haven't done this before, a contractor is probably the best choice with a project manager that's managing the contractor, the general contractor. You know, I think of the example of, uh, you know, if you go to a used car dealership, are you going to buy the cheapest car on the lot? Uh, you know, because if you do, it's actually going to cost you the most because then you'll have all these repairs that you have to do constantly. And it just really adds up. Uh, same mm-hmm. as if you get the cheapest contractor. So it's, you're better off just, you know, you, you get what you pay for essentially. So Matt, we have a, a project going on and we had five leases signed and all five of those leases backed out because their units weren't ready on time when we planned on having them ready. So we lost five leases. Now the average lease is about $1,400. Okay. So $1,400 average lease is $1,400. That's uh, 50, is that $7,000, right? In a month. Yeah. So we lost $7,000 on five units. Okay. Because we couldn't get those ready. We could have paid $7,000 more to get that renovation done and bet ahead of the game. Had those units leased out now. Now we're moving on to the next units. And so it would have been worth probably more like eight or 9,000, maybe even $10,000 to get those units done. Okay. So I could have spent a lot of money. I could have spent, you know, what, two, close to $2,000 extra per unit, per unit to get those done on time. And I would have broken even or been ahead of the game. So you got to really consider the contractors you're using. You got to consider the time. The time is huge. We've got a project, we got a property we're looking at purchasing right now. We're getting all of our quotes during the due diligence period. Okay. So we have had painters over there. We've had uh, electricians and plumbers and, and, and landscapers and uh, siding company, roofing company. I mean, everybody, we've had everybody over there right now. And we're getting the quotes we need in order to tee this property up, in order to be having materials on site the day we close and start renovating units. If we can start renovating units on day one versus day 30, you know, we got five more units done, let's just say. Now, in my example, there's $7,000 more that is coming to our, our pocket, meaning we can, by, by doing that, we can go, we can actually afford to spend a little bit more if we have to, to get the work done. So that's what happens when you go with the cheapest contractor, Matt. Not only do they do 
maybe not as quality of a job, but they promise you they can get five units done and they don't get five units done. And you're pissed because you lose a bunch of money and you're out a bunch of time. So how do you make sure that uh, the contractors are doing the renovations uh, according to the schedule as well as uh, to the quality that you expect? So that therein lies a big challenge, right? So first it comes down to the referrals that you have, you know, asking the right questions. Did they, did they get the project done on time? You know, what was your timeline like? Uh, what did they promise you? When would they get it done? And did they follow through with that? The answer is, well, no, you know, they're, they're behind, but they did a good job, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Well, now I know at least they're behind. Okay. So now I can account for that. Well, how far behind were they? Well, they promised it in four weeks and they delivered in six. Okay. So now when they promise me in four, I'm going to count on them taking seven weeks. Right. And so now I know it's going to take me seven weeks or you go, that's not acceptable. I'm going to find a different person that can do this job. Right. So that's, that's first and foremost, getting your expectations set up right in the first place. What I will do is I'll tell a contractor and I got to, we got to get back to this because quite frankly, we haven't been doing this as much as what I'd like to, but you'd say to a contractor, Hey, how long is this job going to take you? And they say, well, it's going to take me four weeks and go, great. Are you sure? Yeah, for, for sure, four weeks. I said, well, what happens if we run in a couple issues, which we always inevitably do? What, how long is it really going to take you? Are you positive you can get these, you know, to get 10 units done at one time in four weeks? Well, you know, yeah, I mean, it could take five weeks. Okay, great. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you seven weeks to finish this project. And if you don't finish this project in seven weeks or six weeks or whatever it is, then here's what the penalty looks like. Each day after that period of time happens, you get a penalty. And we spell out what that penalty looks like. It's, it's a monetary penalty. So now you're no longer making money, as much money, to do that project. Now, we have some stipulations. What happens if I force some change orders? What happens if the city forces some changeovers? You know, what happens if they, we, uh, especially if we're opening up, let's say a wall and we discover mold or something like that, something, something unseen, you know, those are, those are of course, material changes that are going to change the contract. And that's different. But if it's just a, especially if it's uh, you know, cabinets and countertops and lighting and stuff like that, it's pretty cut, pretty cut and dry. We don't have any delays. That's it. You get your, you know, six weeks. And if you go six weeks in one day, your penalty start and you're going to get paid less. And of course, the other thing is we don't pay people up front. A lot of these contractors are going to ask for a bunch of money up front. Don't do not pay people a bunch of money up front. Okay. If you need to pay for materials, pay for materials, but pay for those materials. Don't pay the contractor, pay for the materials, pay the, pay the vendor. Okay. Um, but paying for a contractor up front. No, I won't do it. I refuse to. Yeah, I've heard the horror stories of uh, you know people paying a contractor everything up front and then the contractor disappears. Yeah, yeah, or even fifty percent. Look, why you paid them fifty percent? What's their incentive? You know, you uh, never ever pay in advance. Too, I get contractors that'll ask, say, "Hey, look, man, I'm sorry, I can't, I can't get to work this week. I got to, uh, I got to reprioritize because I need the money. Unless you can advance me some money." No, I'm not going to advance you some money and the timeline's ticking right now. And I can't, I'm not going to delay the timeline because you 
don't know how to manage your money. Yeah. Smart. And that's again, the importance of paying reputable or hiring reputable contractors, because if you've got that contractor there, there's the red flag right there is when, when the conversation goes immediately to how am I going to get paid? That's a big red flag. Okay. When that's very first part of that conversation is how am I going to get paid? Or it's, Hey, here's how I like to get paid. You know, once the job is done, you meet me on site and cut me a check. No freaking way. We are not meeting you on site and cutting you a check that same day. I will never pay you that same day. You're going to, you're going to have the work completed. You're going to send us a bill. We're going to receive that bill. We're going to walk through with our project manager, project manager is going to walk through with the contractor, go through everything on the checklist, make sure everything's completed. If it's not, we'll have a, a work order for you. If it is, then we'll submit it to our billing, right? And that'll get processed. And then you'll get a, ch- cat, a check cut to you or an ACH, however we're set up. Okay. But we try to pay contractors quickly. So my policy is always to pay them within 15 days of, of approval. But, and I, and I, we try really hard to pay them even faster that same week, but I'm never going to meet you on site to, to give you a check or to give you cash or anything like that. It's just not going to happen. So that's the other thing. Make sure they can afford that 15 day period. And if they can't, if that's not how they are able to do it, that's a contract you just don't know, don't want to deal with. And don't get, just don't get sucked in by the contractor that's going to do it for such a good price. I mean, it's always tempting, like, like, oh man, yeah. this is going to save me all this money. Uh, right. But then all these problems happen and it's just not worth that money that you thought you saved, but actually didn't. It's never worth, it's never worth it. So, um. I think, Matt, managing uh, these contractors, uh, again, it's, it's leadership, it's communication. You have to have clear expectations set in front of them. Make sure that the estimate they provide is very detailed. If it's not completely clear 100% of what they need to do, do not expect them to do what you're asking them to do. If it's more detailed, Make sure you have a working set of drawings, full working set of blueprints drawings with all the materials, with everything, and a full, full scope. Always have a full scope. doesn't matter how small it is. Even for a paint job, I'm going to have a full scope. We had a painting quote recently, and the painting quote said um, some things, but I said, you know, I, I want to know how many coats of paint are you doing? How are you prepping prior to paint? What are you doing to clean the surface? Okay. Uh, I want to know what, even if you have, even if you put two coats of paint on it, I want to make sure, okay, what are you going to do though? If there's flashing, what are you going to do if there's spotting? What are you going to do if, you know, we want to make sure that there's no flashing, no spotting, you know, no runs, that type of thing. So how do we, how is our quality looking? So you want to make sure it's detailed. You think, well, geez, a good contractor should be able to do all that stuff. They should be able to, but don't assume when we assume things, it just never works out because what we have in our brain doesn't somehow get portaled into their brain. 
Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Um, yeah. Um, what am I, what am I missing, man? I, I mean, there's so much I'm probably missing. There's a lot of little nuanced things, um, that, that go with it, but again, leadership, clear, concise communication, um, is going to be absolutely vital. Yeah. I mean, just pretty much in any walks of life, uh, that's the key, you know, good communication makes things run a lot smoother. Fire quickly. Like if, if you have to get, if a contractor's not doing their job, don't give them second, third, fourth chance, maybe give them a second chance, but don't give them, don't give them more. Um, you know, and, and don't just keep, here's a big mistake, Matt, you, you paid a contractor, somehow that bill got released or, or the, you know, the money got released, whatever it is. And you're like, crap, you know, they haven't finished X, Y, or Z, or they haven't done a good job or whatever it is, or they haven't shown up now or whatever it is. And you're like, wow, man, I feel like they owe me money. I'm going to have them. I'm going to keep them around until they work for another, you know, week. And once they're done working for that week, then I'm going to fire them. And I'm going to withhold the money because they owe me that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Just get rid of them. They're done. Get them off the job. Get the new contractor in. Or, oh, I, I need to get rid of them, but I'm going to wait until I get this other contractor in. Just get, just get rid of them. The only time I would say is if you're like, hey, I, I think we need to fire these guys because they're not doing that great of a job. Or, or maybe they're not keeping up with the work, uh, but you don't know if the next crew um, is, is you, you don't have anybody lined up. You don't have another crew. So if they're, maybe they're doing a high enough quality job, but they're just taking too long. Um, you know, and you don't have another crew lined up yet. That that's maybe okay. Let's let's keep them on. Um, let's make let's get them to finish the job they're doing. Um, let's try to push them along faster while we are looking at hiring a new contractor. But sometimes it's just even better to to let them go, even in that case. So have you already like mentally prepared yourself with like a backup list of contractors that you can fall back on if uh, you know the current ones don't work out? Well, that's part of the value of getting multiple bids. Look, I like getting, I like getting minimum, very minimum of five bids. And even when I find a good contractor, Matt, that I like to use and I go, this, I love, I, I like this electrician. I know they're going to do a great job. They're going to get there on time, blah, blah, blah. When they come in to the next job, I'm getting them to give me the quote, but I'm also getting at least two other contractors to give me a quote. Yeah. So even though I know I'm probably going to use them, I'm still holding them accountable. Okay. And we're always constantly talking to other contractors. So yeah, do I have a backup? Absolutely. I've got multiple contractors that have looked at that job that we can use. Cool. And how hard is it to find available contractors right now? I, I would say it depends a lot on your market. Um, but, but yeah, good contractors are hard to come by. That's for sure. I mean, good contractors are, are busy, hard to come by. I would say it's it's loosening up a bit. Um, they're becoming easier as the as the market kind of shifts. I was just talking with a with a um, buddy of mine that owns a concrete company, and uh, you know he's super busy right now. But he's got a lot of the major builders are slowing down. You know, they're kind of putting the brakes on projects, and so that's just a snowball effect. Guys go you know, the good contractors like him, he's going to go find other work and he's be, going to be able to get it. And the other contractors are going to slow down. Uh, the guys that aren't marketing, the guys that aren't pursuing other opportunities are going to slow down quickly. And so 
you know, you're certainly seeing things loosen up a little bit right now. Uh, but I would say that the best of the contractors are still very busy. Cool. All right. Well, that's all I got for today. All right, man. Well, that's it for me too. You have a fantastic rest of the day. Make every day Saturday. Thanks. You too. Hello and welcome to Pillars of Wealth Creation, where we talk about creating financial success with a special focus on business and real estate. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. Now, let's get to it.